Good morning. Wonderful to see all of you here. I am thankful, a little partial though, to uh, two particular visitors that are here uh, this morning. My mom and dad, Kobe and Shirley Sadler, are here visiting with us. If you've not met them, I hope you'll do that, all right? I'm glad they're here, but glad you're here as well. I've got something really bad to show you. Some of you may gasp and, and turn away, especially given the time of year that it is, but it is truly a horrible sight to behold. That is a burnt pumpkin pie. This picture has circulated throughout the internet because of the person who posted it. Now I'm going to save her name and embarrassment, but just Google burnt pumpkin pie and you'll figure it out who she is. Nobody around here, that's not the important thing. But it is important in this case because she went online thanking Marie Callender, the maker of the pie, for ruining Thanksgiving dessert. And after this was posted, the internet, in a humorous way, uh, went about chastising her for her inability to uh, read the instructions, to set an appropriate timer, and for her gross negligence in uh, what came out to be, indeed, a horrible uh, pumpkin pie. The point I would like to make, though, is there was definitely a misunderstanding between this woman, as many of us will make a similar mistake, and the instructions on the box. They plainly say 25 to 30 minutes. But there was a misunderstanding. It's Marie Callender's fault, she says. Well, the point being, we do not handle misunderstandings very well in our world today. And the question of how can we do better is an important question because many relationships hang in the balance due to misunderstandings. Let's turn to Joshua 22, please. Joshua chapter 22, and we're going to look into Scripture and see how the Israelites handled a very big misunderstanding that could have had drastic results, if not handled well, much more drastic than a burnt dessert on Thanksgiving. Horrible though that is. Joshua chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have listened to my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And in verse 4, he talks about how they're going to be granted land beyond the Jordan. He says this, The Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as He spoke to them. Where, therefore, turn now and go to your tents to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan. Only be very careful, verse 5, to observe the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and walk in His ways and keep His commandments and hold fast to Him and serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua is setting about on the eastern side on the eastern side of the River Jordan, which basically splits that map going north to south. And so half the tribe of Manasseh 
the Gadites and the Reubenites are on that side, and the rest of the tribes are on the other. And Joshua is, is setting them up, telling them, be faithful to God. You've done such a great job. You've been faithful. Continue to do so. But here we see this dividing line. And this is, is setting us up to see how that line, the River Jordan, the physical line, set up for what would be a tremendous misunderstanding between those on the west side and those on the east side. Joshua chapter 22 beginning with verse 10 now. When they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there. Now, if you remember the Israelites' history, building an altar, building something, has sometimes not had very good outcomes. So there's some suspicion that will start to be built here simply because of an altar they built there by the Jordan, a large altar in appearance. And the sons of Israel heard it said, Behold, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the side belonging to the sons of Israel. So those on the eastern side, Manasseh, Gad, Reuben, built an altar. That's all we know. That's the only thing we know. Well, through transfer of information, those on the west side heard about it. The larger group of the Israelites heard about what was going on. They're building an altar. They're building a what? You see, because the altar was the, the actual place of worship, the temple was on the other side. And you had to go to that temple in order to worship God. So some real suspicion here as to what those on the eastern side were doing. Verse 12, When the sons of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel gathered themselves at Shiloh to go up against them in war. When we are suspicious of people, how do we handle it? Those on the western side were suspicious and they were ready to go to war with their brothers. They were ready to battle them over what they saw, what they had heard of. This looks like it's going to turn out really, really bad. Spoiler alert though, they handle it really well. And that's what today's lesson's about. But because we don't often handle suspicion and understandings very well, what do we do? Well, we oftentimes will assume the worst about what someone has done. We'll, we'll tell ourselves all the bad things and, and try to interpret the other person's motives. Those on the western side, all they knew was there was an altar being built. They didn't know what it was, up, was of. They didn't know why it was being built. They didn't know those things. But we, on the other hand, when we hear a rumor about something, we will assume the worst and we will think that we know why that person is doing what they are doing. And we also, we leave no room for understanding whenever we start to interpret things around someone's motives. And through that, we create a conflict when in reality, there should have been effective communication. And whenever we are suspicious of someone, we will pass judgment on them. And it gets really, really bad. Much worse than it should have been. Between your brothers and sisters here at the congregation, 
between family members, between friends, between co-workers, when we are suspicious of someone and a misunderstanding rears its ugly head, we don't handle it very well. Well, the children of Israel did a tremendous job of handling the misunderstanding here. We're going to talk about that this morning. The first thing you must do is respond with proper concern. There's a lot that goes on inside a congregation. There's a lot that goes on physically. There's a lot that goes on spiritually. The setup sounds as though it's not going to be very successful. We've got a bunch of sinners coming to a building who have anger problems, who have addiction problems, who aren't perfect people, and we're going to put them all together. Let's see what happens. Oh my goodness. What happens is they learn about Jesus Christ. And they learn how to act differently. And they don't allow those evil things to take them over. So there's a lot that goes on inside a congregation. Maybe you've not thought about it being that like that, but there's a lot that does go on. And misunderstandings, because of that, misunderstandings must be handled well. We can get all tore up about things. And it'll drive us apart. But what are we worried about exactly whenever you start to fret over things here at the building? Do you worry that we will have things our way? I want things my way. Or are you more concerned that someone will be able to use their talent for God? Do you want to feel in control? Or are you willing to to concede that it is God who is in control, working with us and through us? Matthew chapter 23 says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Jesus is saying you need to think more about justice, about mercy, about faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. We can't swallow the little things, but we can definitely swallow a camel. We forget about the bigger things. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. And our response quite often to issues that may arise within the congregation, or even in our own personal lives, is without the proper concern. So how did the Israelites first respond to what the other tribes were doing? Let's look at verses 15 and 16. We know that they are going to fight a battle, if necessary. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. They came to the sons of Reuben and to the sons of Gad, into the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them. They didn't go straight for the battle. They spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this unfaithful act which you have committed against the God of Israel, turning away from following the Lord this day, by building yourselves an altar to rebel against the Lord this day? So those from the west go over to the east, and they were concerned with God's holiness. That was their concern. Not that they would be inconvenienced, not that something strange would happen, but that they were concerned with God's holiness. They were concerned with the spiritual state of their brothers on the other side of the river. They were ready to respond with force, if necessary. We read that in verse 12. Now thankfully, most of what we address today does not have to begin with Go get your spear. Go get your sword. Go get your shield. Thankfully, 
we can address concerns in a much more effective way. But the way some people respond to things that they are concerned about might as well be a battle. It might as well be a war. Because they don't go and talk to their brothers or sisters or their friends. They just go directly and they start to start that battle that could have been avoided altogether. So you must be concerned with the person's relationship with God. And of course, your own. And all things will go much better. Go to that person that you are worried about and go about it lovingly, but be concerned with their soul. We will go to a person we are suspicious of, but typically with our minds already made up, that they're wrong. But you don't know that person's heart. You don't know their intent. So what do you got to do? You got to go and communicate with them. And whenever you have the proper things at the forefront, you'll be able to handle that better. The next thing you must do when handling misunderstandings is be ready to sacrifice. Joshua chapter 22, verses 17 and 18. Is not the iniquity of Peor enough for us, from which we have not cleansed ourselves to this day, although a plague came on the congregation of the Lord, that you must turn away this day from following the Lord? If you rebel against the Lord today, He will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel tomorrow. At Peor, in Numbers chapter 25, Israel's men began relationships with Moabite women, and they began worshiping the Moabite gods. And as a result, God sent a plague that killed 24,000 people. Phineas, who's doing the talking here, the priest, this was especially meaningful to him because it was he who was the one sent by God on behalf of the Israelites, to take out the plague, to to remedy what was going on to the people at the time. So Phineas, this incident was near and dear to his heart. So he goes to them and he asks them, don't you remember what happened to us back at Peor? Imagine someone that you question their motives and their behavior, and you are very, very suspicious. How do you respond? We often respond out of concern because of what the person's behavior is going to cost us and them. And this is a legitimate concern and is part of being in a community because our places overlap one another. What happens to people within your sphere of influence, those people that you are closest to, it affects you a great deal. I remember back in second grade, There were particular students that would mess up, that would act out, and then we would all get in trouble. Maybe that happened to you as well. In in, in my class, it was Jimmy Dale Watson. Mom and Dad remember him. That boy was always acting up. No relation with the Dale part. But he was always acting up, and when he or, or somebody else was acting foolish, everybody would get in trouble, so we started looking out for one another to make sure he didn't act up because we'd get in trouble. Same thing in this illustration. Do you not understand what will happen to the whole congregation if you rebel against God? Well, we want to protect what is ours and what is yours. We are better off healthy and stable when we are both healthy and stable. However, may we not be so weak that we think one person's behavior is going to destroy what we have built here and what you have built in your own personal life. 
But be strong in your faith and depend on God to see you through difficult times. If a person is living wrong, live so that you will influence them. We are most often concerned with what their behavior is going to cost us financially, unfortunately. That's the question we often ask first. But a person's soul is much more valuable and we should be willing to sacrifice for that individual. Joshua chapter 22 in verse 19 says this, If, however, the land of your possession is unclean, then cross into the land of the possession of the Lord. So he's, they're giving them an option, you see. Don't you remember what happened at Peor? If you're doing wrong, if you are living wrong, then cross into the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. Take possession among us. Come and live among us. They were ready to sacrifice, to support that erring brother. They didn't go there and say, what are you doing wrong? Why are you doing all this stuff? Why are you living wrong? Well, you just stay away from us. Why don't you just do that? It's like a hospital saying, you're sick, get out of here. Somebody's in here and they're messing up and they're doing wrong. They need to be here. Too many of our brothers and sisters, when life goes wrong, they, they escape. They leave. They go someplace else or nowhere at all. And it's because of the shame that they may feel. I hope, though, however, it is not how we approach them. I hope that whenever we do approach our brothers and sisters who are hurting, who are struggling deeply with something, I hope we will go to them out of good concern in a good way. And I hope that we will be ready to support them and sacrifice for them. Romans chapter 15 says this, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. When the people from the West went across the Jordan to approach and to confront their brothers and sisters, whenever they went over there, they were ready to do battle, but they were also ready to take them across and say, come live with us and get out of the evil life that you are living. The next thing we must do can be found in Joshua chapter 22 and verse 20. He mentions it again, a similar situation, much like Peor in verse 20. He says, Phineas says, Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, act unfaithfully in the things under the ban, and wrath fall on all the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Once again, referencing a situation where one group or people was doing something wrong and they were all suffering because of it. The Israelites assumed positive intent here. This is what they were going after. They were concerned for the spiritual state of their brothers across the Jordan. And they were concerned also for their own because when part of the tribes did something wrong, the entire group would be punished. We must assume positive intent more than we do. When we hear rumors, when we see things on Facebook that look kind of fishy, when we see something that, that we think is wrong, there is a misunderstanding. But what do we often do? We often go directly to the conflict. And we yell at the person. We go directly to the war. We don't go to the medicinal side. We don't say, what support do you need like they did here in this example? Let's look at Joshua chapter 22 and the second part 
of verse 19. Only do not rebel against the Lord or rebel against us by building an altar for yourselves besides the altar of the Lord our God. So if you're building something, we get it. And they were assuming here that there, there, there was likely a, a something they would be doing that would be okay. And that's what he says there in the last part of that verse, in verse 19, besides the altar of the Lord our God. You could be building something, and I hope it is for Him. I hope it is in recognition of our Lord and Savior. So you see, they were ready for war, but they were also ready to help their brothers and sisters and to say, you know what, you're probably doing something positive. And we often do not do that. We will often go straight for the negative rather than assuming positive intent. Well, how can you do that? Whenever you have a conflict, whenever you have a misunderstanding, what's the best way to assume positive intent? First off, ask, don't think. And what I mean by that is when we're suspicious, we'll start thinking about all the things that that person had ever done, that they've been forgiven of, but how, how it could turn out in some strange way. Like with our pumpkin pie example earlier, I wonder if that, if that woman was thinking, well, they meant for this to happen. Marie Callender meant for me to burn my pie. There's a misprint on that box. I wonder if she thought those things. You think things in much the same way. When someone suspiciously acts or does you wrong, you start thinking, well, they just hate me. They just want me to seem foolish. They just want me to do this or do that. There's all this, this thinking that goes on. But what you must do is go to the person and talk to them. Ask them about what happened in order to clarify. Talk, don't text. Good advice in a lot of situations. Typing words is a terrible way to capture the nuance of human emotion. Even with the emojis. My emoji looks just like me. Okay? You probably got one as well. And even with that emoji, though, it doesn't capture fully what somebody is trying to ask or get across. So when it's important, go and talk to that person. Don't text them. And lastly, don't gossip. You've got an issue, you're suspicious with someone, go to them, don't start spreading gossip. Here's what I heard happened. Here's my loose interpretation of what I think might have occurred. And what have you done? You've ruined someone's name and you've only spread gas on something that, that does not need to happen. Go directly to that person and talk to them about what is going on and about what your concerns are. That's how you assume positive intent. And in addition to this, we must see the situation from the perspective of the other person. We've talked a lot about those on the western side, those that went across and were ready to do battle, but what about those tribes on the other side? If you were standing there eating, putting up your tent perhaps, just going about your daily routine, how would you feel if you looked up and saw people that you knew with their weapons coming at you? Pretty intimidating, is it not? Pretty intimidating. Both sides, you see, needed to see the other person's perspective for this to go well. The western side had a reason to be concerned. The eastern side had a reason to be concerned whenever they saw 
their, their friends coming across with their shields and their swords and their spears ready for battle. But both needed to realize that something's going on and we need to find out more about it. When we receive criticism in this manner, when someone comes to you and says, hey, this or that is happening and I wanted to ask you about it, a lot of times we will become defensive. We'll cross our arms and we'll purse our lips and we'll stick our chin out and we will get very defensive over what someone is bringing to us. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. In either case, listen to what that person has to say. And on the opposite, don't assume negative intent. Everybody wants the same thing in general. They don't want to watch the world burn. They want to live a good life. They want to live a constructive life. And when misunderstandings happen, you've got to work to figure that out. I have students at school, they can figure out Rubik's Cubes with one hand. They're really good at it. Well, we might oftentimes look at our problems like a Rubik's Cube and we'll, we'll smash it on the ground. When if you would just look up a YouTube video, it'll show you exactly how to do it. It's kind of easy, according to them. So don't smash things on the ground. Don't assume the negative in your life because that person, they love you or you wouldn't be friends with them. Let's look at Joshua chapter 22, verses 21 through 27, and we see the response from those that were on the eastern side of the Jordan. Joshua 22 and verse 21. Then the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and spoke to the heads of the families of Israel. The mighty one God, the Lord, the mighty one God, the Lord. He knows, and may Israel itself know, if it was in rebellion or if in an unfaithful act against the Lord, do not save us this day. So we see their intent from the outset. If this was not to honor God, then go ahead and kill us all right now. If we have built us an altar to turn away from following the Lord, or if to offer a burnt offering or grain offering on it, or if to offer sacrifices of peace offerings on it, may the Lord Himself require it. If we have done something, we pray, we want it to be from God. But truly, we have done this out of concern for a reason, saying, in time to come, your sons may say to our sons, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? They recognized the spiritual boundary of the Jordan, the, the physical boundary of the Jordan, and how that might end up being a spiritual and social boundary as well. So they wanted to build this altar so that the sons on both sides would know and understand that they are of the same group, that they are of the same people. Yesterday in Knoxville, everybody was together. They had their orange on, didn't they? Because they wanted to know, they wanted you to know whose side they were on. Saw a gentleman at a band competition yesterday, had an Alabama shirt on. Like, sir, we're not at the game. You don't, you don't have to wear that. But he wanted people to know who it was that he supported. And whenever we are separated, oftentimes, we might forget why we are together. When I'm standing in line, maybe traveling, I hear somebody's accent, I can usually tell where they're from. And we'll talk for a while. There are things that connect us. And the Israelites on the eastern side 
did not want the people to forget who they served, who they were with, and why they were together. Verse 25, For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between us and you, you sons of Reuben and sons of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord, so your sons may make our sons. Stop fearing the Lord. As though there's a disconnect, but they are connected. They simply wanted the altar to remind them of that. Therefore we said, let us build an altar, not for burnt offerings or for sacrifice. Rather, it shall be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us. Because you see, elsewhere in the passage, it talks about how large the altar was and how it could be seen from afar off that we are to perform the service of the Lord before Him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings so that your sons will not say to our sons in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. They built it as a witness to make sure that the physical boundary did not become a spiritual or social boundary between each other and, of course, between them and their God. When someone comes to you with a concern, realize that they are struggling with something. They might be wrong. In any, any case, you'll help them understand. They might be right. And if they are with that concern, then there's a change that you need to do. It's called being convicted. When someone brings wrongdoings in your life to your attention, and you need to correct it, that is called being convicted. And you need to change that. But realize that that person, one way or another, is struggling with something. And they often, of course, want exactly want what you do. And keep that in mind. Because a lot of times when someone comes to us and we get defensive, now we're enemies, you see. But in our account this morning, we saw how something very important that could have resulted in a war, simply by talking it out, brought two people perhaps even closer together. And also remember that they need you and that you need them as well. Whether we're talking about brothers and sisters here or elsewhere in our workplace, maybe there are people you need to get out of your life. But for the most part, those that we choose to be around, we definitely need each other. Let's look at verses 30 and 31 as we conclude. So when Phinehas the priest and the leaders of the congregation, even the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words which the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the sons of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. And Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest said to the sons of Reuben and to the sons of Gad and to the sons of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst. Because you have not committed this unfaithful act against the Lord, now you have delivered the sons of Israel from the hand of the Lord. I hope that every time you're here, I hope that every time you speak to someone before and after services, whenever you have a misunderstanding, I hope you can say, today we know that the Lord is in our midst. Because with all of our shortcomings, when we rely on Him, He can get us through anything whether a simple misunderstanding or a misunderstanding that might truly take our, our lives, our livelihood, or whatever the case might be. In any case, I hope that you will work to understand people that are around you because we definitely need each other. If you're not a Christian, please come forward this morning and let us baptize you that you might be added to the body of Christ. Or if you are a Christian and have strayed, let us pray for you this morning.
that those sins might be forgiven. Please come now as we stand and sing to encourage you.